You're tuned in to the Vintage House Show, home to the original stories of the history of house music as told by the legends, pioneers, and icons. Hosted by Kevin Mega McFall, Lori Branch, and Lauren Lowry. Thank you. 
Welcome to Street Beat. Monday nights with the Modern Dance Music Research and Archiving Foundation. Today, we are so pleased to have one of the major pioneers of house music, Kirkland Townsend, in the house today, uh, joining us um, with uh, both myself and Cameron, our intern here. We are so pleased to be uh, spending our summers at WNUR. Uh, check us out. Call us at 847-866-WNUR. Stream, stream us live at WNURStreetBeat.org. And uh, tell your friends. Come on, check us out. Check us out. We are here all summer, Mondays, 10 o'clock until 11 o'clock, spreading the history of house music, celebrating the history of house music with the pioneers. Uh, again, today we have Kirkland Townsend in the house, and he has some special guests. Kirk, who you got today? Well, thank you, Lauren, and welcome, everyone. It is uh, a pleasure to be here with you on WNUR-FM. Also, uh, we're going to make a little history tonight for you. Uh, we have some historic figures in the, not just the house music uh, genre, but also the entertainment industry genre. And uh, it's uh, Wayne Williams from the Chosen Few DJs, along with Jesse Saunders of the Chosen Few DJs as well. Uh, both considered uh, some of the originators of the house music genre. I would agree with that. And uh, we hope you will too. So we hope that you're tuned in tonight. Uh, you're tuned in. You're signed on. You can also uh, locate us at WNUR.org or WNURStreetBeat.org. Uh, that also will lead you right to where we are. And uh, right now, we thought we'd start off with a nice, smooth mix from 2010 from Wayne Williams. So how appropriate for uh, a Monday night to come in and uh, play a mix from Wayne as well as talk to him a little bit. And we're going to uh, teach you a little thing. So I'm going to give you about five minutes. Go get a pad and a pencil. Uh, if you have a lie meter at home, you should engage your lie meter right now. Because we're going to tell some stories that probably will fall under the auspices of fiction or nonfiction, depending on your perspective, your perceptive. And uh, uh, we're going to share some stories of how these guys got started and uh, what led them to where they are, especially with the advent of the Chosen Few Picnic coming up this Saturday uh, in uh, Jackson Park, which uh, a good 30,000, 40,000 people attend. So uh, without further ado, we're just going to listen for another few more minutes to this mix from DJ Wayne Williams from 2010.
99.3 WNUR. We are live in the studio tonight with Wayne Williams and Jesse Saunders, some of the originators of house music. And uh, away we go. Gentlemen, let's start with Wayne here. Mr. Williams. That's DJ Wayne Williams. Excuse me, DJ Wayne Williams. Would you give the audience just a little uh, history of yourself? Um, where you, where you, you want me, you to, want me to drive this kitty for you? I, yeah. I tell you what, what year did you start DJing? I started DJing in 1974. 1974. And what was the main influence that led you to DJing? The main influence, wow. Well, when I first started, I was just going to a basement party that um, I had to go to because my, I was following my sister to her boyfriend's party. And so when I um, started, you know, when he left to slow dance, that's, you know, Kirk, remember when people used to slow dance? Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God, what a lost start. Anyway, when, when, when they went off slow dancing, the record would go off because back then it was just one turntable. And I, I was back there, so I would put the next record on, and that just gave me the bug to see people dancing off the selection that I picked. Okay, that sounds interesting. Well, what was uh, I know that was your and uh, yes, and uh, you were uh, now at that point. Did you coin the phrase the chosen few? No, no, not at all. Not till later. That was later on. Yeah. Okay, so then there comes into play this gentleman sitting next to you, hmm. who happens to be uh, your brother, and uh, uh, maybe you can introduce this young man. Um, this is the. Um, what do, what, how do you call yourself? The call yeah, the originator, <laughs> <laughs> the originator, baby, uh, Jesse Saunders. Yes, Jesse, why don't you uh, say hi to the people for him? And you know, hey, what's up? What's going on? You give me a little introduction like you did him. It always helps. <laughs> so Jesse, uh, what what year did you start DJing? Oh gosh. Well, technically. I started in 1977, but when I really go back and I look at it, because I always say I never really wanted to be a DJ, but I look back at it like making, you know, pause button remix tapes and always being the first at the record store to get whatever was new, making my own tapes and carrying my boombox. I guess I was preparing, I was a DJ in training as early as about probably 1972. But I didn't actually touch any turntables or do anything until Wayne brought them by and left them at the house, much to my mother's chagrin. And I learned how to do it. So that was about 1977. Now, the reason why I'm starting back here is because I'm sure there's a multitude of people that are listening, tuned in. By the way, uh, we also have a Facebook page that would link us to uh, WNUR, and that is... Uh, uh, modern dance music their foundation their uh, facebook page you can go to that there's a link there also wnurstreetbeat.org uh, slash streetbeat.org and that will also link you directly to tune in to us and uh once we get uh closer to the end of this we're going to take some calls and let uh people tell a lot of uh stories i think um no threats uh, we asked everybody to keep the threats to a minimum. 
And uh, what kind of radio show is this? <laughs> for real, <laughs> you know, a lot of DJs, man, in Chicago probably are, are tuned into this, and uh, um, you know how the still waters run deep. But anyway, we'll get to that <laughs> a little bit later. But um, so, Wayne, what was one of the biggest influences that led you to? Well, I, I, let me just say this: I know I can go back and remember when you guys first started playing records, and. Um, you always had kind of a, you, you didn't go for the standards, you know, of music to play. You played a lot of the standard stuff too, but you always had a, a trend towards new, different European uh, disco music and punk music and all the different genres that kind of combined led to what I consider to be the house music phenon. And uh, uh, what was... Give me an idea of the first record that probably set you on the path to playing mostly this type of music. Well, I mean, let me let me say this to, to start off with, you know, um, what got me on playing the new music, period, is the fact that um, when, when I entered high school, uh, Mendo Catholic High School, um, and I started going to parties, you know, at, back then at that time, um, the big DJ was none other than the person interviewing me now, which is Kirkland Townsend. And and uh, you would always play, Kirk, you would always play. Not only would you would play the current stuff, you know, um, as well, but you would always play new music that we hadn't heard yet from, a, you know, especially R&B. It could be a James Brown cut. It could be a cameo cut. It could be a funk cut. It could be, you know... Um, uh, I mean, the various music because you were pretty wide range in, you know, you play disco as well. You play disco, you play R&B, you play funk, you play you, across the board. So, you know, the, I, I guess, I, well, I know for a fact for me, you know, um, when I started getting into disco, that was kind of what led me to finding and picking new music. The fact that you had done it and that's what all the parties that I went to because every party you... You DJ'd every party on the South Side. So, <laughs> you know, um, um, that's what I was accustomed to hearing. So I didn't know any better, <laughs> pretty much, you know. So that's how, that's what I knew. Well, I, I'm glad you say that. But, you know, my influence and everybody, anyone that knew me, I was I was a businessman. I was about the money. And uh, I would DJ at an ashram if they paid well. <laughs> so, right. so but. let me add this that you said I went to Kenwood in 1976 as a freshman. That summer, which would have been the following summer, 1977, I went to Mendel for the first time. And I was amazed to see all of these dance groups, the doctors, and you know everybody dancing out, because I had never really been anything like that. And then I look up on stage, and I see this guy named Kirk Townsend, who at the time, I didn't know who the hell he was, right? <laughs> okay, so then next thing I know, Next thing I know is Wayne's like, you know, talking about getting up on the turntables and doing this and that and, and whatever. And, and I'm like, well, how you DJ? I mean, what do you do? You know, and I'm watching Cass like, oh, man, I can't do what he does. You know, because I mean, it, to me, it looked like this big, huge. I mean, because what we're talking 2000 kids. Oh, four, right? three to four, three easily. to four thousand, and Two you thousand had in the gym alone. upstairs and a downstairs. Yeah. So you know, I always tell people that was the first rave because that was the yeah. first time I saw two DJs playing. You know, and anything like that. But you know, after that, next thing I know, Wayne's coming along telling me, "Let's you know, grab your your mixes and everything. We're DJing a party." So that was my introduction. 
Yeah, and I think for me, you know, when I got Jesse, um, um, the disco had, had pretty much taken off for me. And I think that, um, you know, it was important to, um, you know, I needed help, quite honestly. And no no one in my crew at the time, Ewart, didn't want to play any disco. And, and, uh, and, and Batman, you know, just made speakers. And uh, Jamie just drew the flyers. So I disagree with that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that Batman just made speakers. I think Batman was an enterprising young businessman at that time. Uh, no one had stock in Vaseline like he did at that oh, see, point. There you go. Here goes the story. So here goes the story. Go right, right, right. Exactly. Exactly. But Batman, no, and, and, and in fairness, he, he did a lot of the parties with me because he, he passed out flyers with me and, and he was a promoter. You know, he, he promoted with me. We promoted together. And, uh, but, but, my, I needed help, and like I said, the the influence as far as new music um, was you, and and one of the reasons it was you because you were in record pools before I even knew of record pools, and yeah. so you you were able to get you should expound on that how you were able to get the new music from these record pools that you were in. Well, you know, it was a hazard. Anybody else? It was a hazard too because you know I had to keep you guys away from stealing records at my house. Too. <laughs> I was getting ready to go there. Yeah, I'm sure you were. I'm sure you were. You probably got one of my records on you right now. But uh, I, I started out in Discotech, which was uh, a big record pool on, on the north side. And uh, Rocky Jones was involved, and uh, uh, Peter Lewicki, all the guys were, they, at that time, who were the big disco players, <laughs> were in um, uh, discotheque. And then. Uh, was that the first record pool? Uh, I would say so, yes. Okay. The right. first big record pool in the city. Uh, Rocky, along with uh, a couple of guys who were uh, reps for major labels. Mm. And then uh, I, uh, Ernest Hale pulled my coat, and uh, I left as well as a couple other guys, and we all went to the Dogs of War, yeah, I that. which was founded by Eddie Thomas, who was one of the part owners of Kurt Time Records. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and uh, Rocky came on board and a couple other guys. And Dogs of War was so huge. We used to have our meetings in the basement of McCormick, uh, McCormick Inn. And not only was it just that, but guys would bring stereo systems and who could bring the biggest who could bring the loudest and you would play during the the um, during our meetings when we came to collect our I records every week and uh, they would also feature all the brand new stuff so you had to come with your a game so when you come in with stuff like that you pretty much so have to be on top of your game on top of your music and you had to study your music so that was a lot of it where the new music came in for me but, yeah, uh, which was interesting for me because I, I wasn't in the record pool, so mm-hmm. I had to search and find records and stuff. And when me and when I would go over your house and me and Jesse would go over your house, we, like we we knew the the regular copies, but you had the <laughs> you had the promo <laughs> copies with the longer extended versions, yeah. and we was like, okay, what's going on with this dude here? Yeah. You know, we got we need that version. You know? Yeah. And so Jesse had the sticky fingers, but anyway, but so. uh, uh, exactly. But then you guys, you know, would start going. <laughs> <laughs> you, okay, you guys would start going to imports and 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 uh, gramophone and. Uh, oh, but even yeah. before that, um, to find that what you were getting to to find that new music, that you know the, the soulful disco and things that were coming out of New York and Philadelphia and so on and so forth. Tell them about how you found that, Wayne. Well, I mean, I, uh, when I first uh, when when. Um, 
Craig Thompson gave a party at the Den One. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I met Ron Hardy. And uh, so Ron Hardy would, I say, where do you get these, you know, find these, this music and get these records? And so there were a couple of places. He asked me where I lived first, and at that time I was living in the South Shore. And he said, well, there's, a, there's a record store on 71st Street, and then there's also one on the north side called Sounds Goods, mm. and uh, right off Belmont and Broadway. And that's where you can find the music. And then he said, to hear the music, you know, it was a gay club. The uh, the uh, one was a gay club. He said, you're going to have to go to the gay club, because back then, straight people <laughs> were really listening to disco music, and they surely weren't going to gay clubs. So he said, you have to go to the gay club on the, um, you know, and by my house was a gay bar called the Jeffrey Pub, where mm-hmm. Gene White and Michael Ezebuku were the DJs. Who was here with us last week, Michael. I interviewed Michael last week. Oh, cool. And cool. Mike told a lot of history, a lot of good stories. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mike said he started, he was kind of a late bloomer. He said he didn't start to like 76, 77. And, uh, but once he got rolling, you know, he was already at Columbia College, so he had learned to mix and he had, had uh, did a lot of different things. So he, when by the time he got to the Jeffrey Pub and he had met Gene White, whose father was, you know, like the branch manager at CBS Records. And yeah. they took he took him in the studios. And, and and I met Gene before I met Michael. You I, know? I did, too. And because uh, I think Gene was at the Jeffrey Pub before Michael. Absolutely. Yeah. God rest his soul. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I miss my buddy Gene. And Gene introduced me to Michael. Yeah, me as too. well. That's and, funny. Uh, me too. Yeah. yeah. So it, it was it was interesting. And uh, but an, another funny story was uh, how this all came about. Uh, uh, I I I'm, no, I'm interviewing these guys, but I got to tell this one side <laughs> of the story. And I don't want this to be about me at all. This is about you guys. But uh, there was this young skinny kid, you know, and he used to always come, man, let me DJ. Let me DJ. And I'm like. Get away from me. No, man, let me DJ. Let me DJ. No, no, man, get out of here. So one day, probably in the summer of 77, Jesse and, and, and Wayne came to Mendo, and my mom happened to be there on stage with me. And uh, and uh, my mom saw Jesse, and turns out my mother had been Jesse's nurse. She was a nurse for a pediatrician, and, and she turned out to be his nurse, and we also turned out to be family. So, <laughs> so yeah. then I said, okay, all right, I'll let him DJ. But, you know, the main thing was you guys were already on your way. Uh, I was just giving you some. some. Uh, but, well, hold on. To, you don't understate it because to, to understand why we really <laughs> want to DJ at Mendo, <laughs> you got to understand, I mean, First of all, you were DJing all over the city. You were the the only DJ at that. You were the you were the top DJ, and you were the only DJ at that time that I was aware of that was playing you know a variety of music and was top. You know you 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 were the top DJ. So every party, everybody booked you, and everybody would go to. But Mendo, out of all the parties you did, that that became like the 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 pinnacle of of of. of all the different spots you DJ and and so who wouldn't want as a DJ as a young DJ who wouldn't want to 
DJ with you at this pinnacle spot, which of course you told me get you know pretty much get the <laughs> hell out of here. But you know, hey, you gotta ask. If you don't ask, you don't get. Well, if you remember, the first time you asked was when I was at St. Alby. St. Alby. I was yes. at St. Alby's, yeah. and you worked across the street at Whitehead Pantry. Right. And you would come over to the party after you got off work, and mm-hmm. you know I tell you to bring over some uh, some uh, some of the pudding. Right. And uh, <laughs> 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 see, we got to share these stories amongst people right. so that they know the, re- the reality. And, and you know, one of the key things that I want to get to going forward is how much fun we had, and how I wish these these younger people nowadays because. I think you would agree with me. I've seen there's like another generation of house or what they call themselves now house heads. You know, we never used that terminology. Mm-hmm. We never, we didn't know what a house head was. Mm-hmm. But now these people who call themselves house heads, this is probably a fourth, fifth, and sixth generation of people listening to this brand of music or this genre of music. And uh, tell me, man, I, I asked this earlier, we got away from it. What's the first, I got an idea in my mind what the first record, what's the first record that kind of made you think you were doing something different and something special? Probably it was either My Love is Free or mm. um, Dance and Shake and Tambourine. Okay. You know, you know, those are two that, that and, you know, Get Off, 5C, you know, I, I think that came later though. But That was a little bit later. Yeah, it was a little bit later. But I was, well, Get Off was, was like the first edit though for me, you know, uh, you know, and Jesse, that's the first edit we kind of did together, you know, and and so it, that's why that record is an impact record for me. Okay. But but before then, you know, um, disco wise, it was My Love Is Free or Dance and Shake Your Tambourine. Yeah. What about you, Jess? The first record for me that kind of changed everything because it it was kind of a hybrid for me. Um, it had a, a rap in it. And it was instrumental, and it was it was disco, but it had a different kind of feel, and that was TSOB. Mm. You know, that just kind of completely changed the game for me. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, for those who don't know what TSOB is, and also that was a takeoff of Mother, Father, Sister, Brother, or MFSB's version of Love is the Message. And um, um, it's interesting, I go, but what people uh-huh. start listening to later on, no, I'm talking about the other one. What's the other one? What? Uh, Master C and J. Who was that? Oh, Master C and J. Or? C, no, not Master C and J, but the, um, um, dang, I can't think of their doggone names. Who? Uh, the record. Come this on, is I'm saying TSOB. Yeah. That's TSOB. TSOB. Yeah. That's TSOB. Yeah, yeah, but who was it? Though, who's that's who it was. TSOB, Master, it was, uh, Master, Master J and Michael D. Master J and Michael D. Yeah. And Michael D. Yeah. But uh, I, I hear a lot of the music that they play now that they consider house music in. When I was playing, it was like a current song. You know, we played currently, like, you know, I Can't Turn Around Isaac Hayes and, and Down the Love Town and Rolling Down the Mountainside. I remember playing that on 45. 45. Does anybody remember what a 45 is? <laughs> um, you know, you know. there's a lot of different things, which is actually good because good music will be around forever. It'll never go away. But I think one of the first things that really brought my attention to music moving in that direction was probably Martin Circus. Hmm. You know, and it was just uh, 
a beat because not only with the DJ and you know I was renting equipment too so I rented equipment to a lot of the gay DJs via V, Gene and Michael Craig Cannon uh, uh, a lot of guys that played on the circuits like the underground circuits like the I forget the name of the place that I remember is the 175 West Randolph on the fifth floor mm-hmm. that was dangerous too when you think about it. they had one elevator you had to take up take right, down yeah, I remember that. they would break down folks would be climbing out of windows and stuff but the building would be sweating and uh, but um, and then uh, one thing I want to mention too Wayne I know you DJ a lot uh, you started going to a lot of the gay clubs and playing records and trying to play. I know you started doing stuff at the Jeffrey Pub and the Bitter End. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and then I DJ for a gay women's organization called Executive Suite, Suite as yeah. well. I did their parties for about seven, eight years. And, and so... Um, yeah, shout yeah. out to Vera and Pat and Pam yeah. if they're out there. Right, listening. hello. Yeah. Exactly, you yeah. know. So... Um, you know, but just like you said, it was a, it was an interesting time. But whatever reason, I, I I don't I can't explain it. But we never had that that homophobia. You know, we we kind of went wherever we wanted to go. You know, we didn't think about it. You know, and we just it was it you know we just loved the music. It was about the music, period. And we didn't we accepted any. It didn't matter the race, creed, sex, whatever. It didn't make us any difference. It was truly about the spirit of music that we had in our souls you know well and there was another uh flip to that coin as well Mm -hmm. one uh even though it was all stemming from an underground gay scene but the gays paid well paid on time (laughs) 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 so you know that made all the difference in the world as well where there was a lot of shady promoters out there uh that uh, you'd be lucky if you would get paid because, you know, quite frankly, their expenses were just too high. Man. Extremely so, too high. <laughs> much too high. Much too high. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's an inside joke, y'all. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. So speaking of that, let's, let's move a little bit forward. So, Jesse, uh, <laughs> you had your chance. Now, you know, it all comes and goes in waves and circles, but uh, – just like, you know, I was doing the parties of Mendel for three to 4,000 kids every Saturday night, which is historic in a way because, you know, there'll never be a situation like that again. But um, you also had your chance to do that as well at the playground. You know, when the playground opened up, uh, what year did the playground open up? 1982. 82, and you were the resident DJ there, correct? Well, Farley and I, they actually kind of took turns there. <laughs> Did they, I thought initially when they first opened, it was strictly you. No, when it initially first opened, Farley and I were there. Then I wasn't there, and he was just there. Then he wasn't there, and I was just there. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Was it, who, who did the grand opening of the opening party of the playground? That was me, Farley, and Frankie. I was going to say Frankie did yeah. that yeah. too as well, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. So, 1982. The playground, for those who didn't know, was a, uh, a medium-sized, I would say probably held maybe 1,000 to 1,200 people. And uh, it was on the second floor at 14th in Michigan uh, on the uh, east side of the street. And uh, they did every uh, Friday, Saturday night. And when the uh, disco scene really started going more towards house, you know, they entertained not just 
uh, playing music, but also a lot of live music. I remember one of the better concerts I saw there was the New York City Peach Boys. Peach Boys, don't make right. me wait. Don't make me wait. And they, <laughs> they just night. they just tore the house up. Yeah, but nice. uh, yeah, yeah. But the the playground was kind of the culmination of Sawyer's, which you know was was a restaurant which we turned into our own teen disco on Fridays and Saturdays. And you know they had one of the best hamburgers in the city. I never ate there. If, <laughs> if you never got to have lunch at Sawyer's. No. Yeah. I never ate there. I never oh, ate man. there at all. But yeah, we, we kind of, Craig and I got that place in 81 after um, Vince Lawrence and what was old boy that had the record store on 71st and Jeffrey? He had the crew. Oh, he got a yeah. little name. Oh, God. What's I can't think of his name, but they had a crew. And they did this party at Sawyer's, and you know, 600 people showed up, and they used like a pizza party or something, or Izod or oh, Preppy, I'm trying to something, remember whatever it was, was, and it was successful. Was it Vince? Yeah, Vince and these other guys. No, the other Vince. It was RSS. Oh, it was Vince. It was Vince. Uh, no, it wasn't RSS for us. It was no, it was Vince. Vince uh, the other Vince that had yeah, the yeah, 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 who yeah, had yeah, the Tree yeah. of Life and. Uh, uh -oh. I can't remember. It'll come can't to us. But they threw a party over there. It was successful. And Craig turns to me and says, listen, man, why don't you go down there and check out, like, how many more dates they have? <laughs> so we went down there and looked at the books. I say, oh, it looks pretty open after this. He's like, okay, let's book up all the dates for the rest of the year. <laughs> wow. And we pretty much locked most people out. And that's the playground came right after that because... He just wanted a place to control as opposed to having to, you know, deal with another owner or something like that. Yeah. So, okay. So the playground was kind of historic in the fact that it, it really kind of united all sides of the city. You know, we had kids that I had never really seen from the west side, the north side. They were all punked out and, you know, prepped out or whatever it may be. It was just kind of everybody enjoying any style of music. That's what I love most about it was that I could play pretty much anything I wanted. Well, not only that, yeah. not only Sawyer's, though, but First Impressions kind of first fueled impression? into uh, the playground as yeah. well because First Impressions was really where we exploded the punk music and yes. the punk scene. You Absolutely. Know? And also we were on the radio on mm -hmm. WXFM at that time as well. But it was the Herb Kent Punk Out show mm -hmm. where we did, me and you did mixes and stuff like that. Herb you know? Kent, Herb Kent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that was a really good time. Everybody wore their eyes odds and their penny loafers yeah. and, and, and make sure you had a quarter in your penny loafers and members only jackets. And that was, that was kind of the time that, you know, from, from a Batman and Wayne perspective that that's where the goodies were grown from. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Goody Please fast. explain yeah. what the goody is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, yeah, what is funny. a goody? <laughs> you know what? i tell you exactly the reason I actually came up with the name goody. And I came up with it because they, you know, I saw that the Izai Fest had got, you know, it was a huge, big party. Mm -hmm. And then uh, what was the other... Uh, it was Izai, was the other animal? Oh, Polo. The Polo. Then, yeah. then it was the Polo Fest. Then I'm like, these kids are coming to a fest because of a, a label? I mean, I couldn't believe that, right? So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to make up a name and see <laughs> if that'll work, you know? And so, uh, because that really irritated me, <laughs> you know, because I just couldn't believe those people came here because Izai's was popular at the time. But it was a, a trendy thing, but I can't I couldn't believe they came there because of clothes. That just blew me away. So I said, I'm just gonna make up a name. Is it, I mean, is it is it that easy? I'm gonna see. And so I, I put out um me and Batman, I got Batman to go in with me because, you know, 
that's that's my that's my road dog so uh i i i first put out i said they're not gonna really know what it is though i said so we have to come up with a thing so i came up with this goody fest is coming so i put them flyers out goody fest is coming goody fest people were like what what's a goody fest what's a good and then we must have advertised that for three months that goody fest is coming and then and then the next uh, um, the fourth month we put Goody Fest is here, and then we gave the flyer when the Goody. And so people had, because of the what is Goody Fest, the people wanted to know that energy. And then when they found out that it, you know it was here, man, I mean everybody and their mama tried to come to that party. It was an amazing party, and and that's when I I, I understood for the very first time marketing, <laughs> you know, and that the power of marketing, the power of marketing, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, Wayne, since you're on that, mm -hmm. I know at, at one time, um, so let me just fast forward a little bit here. So we're going to go into the the uh, aspect of house music where house music is now being produced. And uh, you skip forward to maybe 1982, 83. Uh, Jesse, you're in a group called Z Factor with Vince Lawrence. And uh, you guys put a record that together called Fast Cars. And first off, no, first cars was I had nothing to do with that. That was Vince's. Oh, that was all that Vince. Was Vince's thing. That was his graduation present from Mitch, you know, to record a song. Oh, Mitch Ball. And, yeah. and have Vince tell it. It ended up at 145 BPMs because his drummer played too fast. He really wanted it to be like 120 BPMs to sound like the stuff he heard me playing. Okay. Okay, I'm not buying that <laughs> at That's all. What he said. <laughs> okay. I'm just reiterating what he said. Right. So. I'm not buying that. Sorry, Vince. If you're out there, Vince, you hear this, I'm not buying that. No sale. <laughs> but okay. So, yeah, that's how that came about. And at the time, Vince came to me with this record and said, Would you play it for me? Well, I took one, listened to it, and was like, Well, how am I supposed to play this? You know, because it just didn't fit into anything, right? But I was like, Shoot, I don't know anybody else that made a record, so I gotta at least try to, you know, throw it on. So I threw it on, and he started hanging out, and I guess I was his new best friend and whatnot. He became my light guy, and, you know, then I got the idea to kind of make, a, I had written fantasy, and I wanted to, like, figure out how to make a record myself. So Vince was right there, and he told me the whole process. And at that point, he had told his father, you know, because he had Z Factor already, he had said that um, he wanted me to be in the band now and this and that, and I had never been in a band, so I'm like, what the heck, whatever. So I did that, and I figured that was a way to get my record out on Mitch Ball. Little did I know it wouldn't get out until <laughs> about a year later. And in the interim, I got kind of upset at it and put out on and on. So Fantasy should have been the first one. So on and on by most accounts is considered like the first produced house song you know not just the music that was played at the warehouse but now we're taking it the genre in a whole nother direction where we're starting to produce tracks and produce records and it's taking on a life of its own and uh that uh, um arguably that that's wait, what wait, most let me say this first before you before you okay. before that even happened it was like the the term house in itself has many, many, many people trying to say that they actually came up with the term. I mean, it's, it comes from the warehouse or it was a bin at imports, etc. Chip E says this, Farley says that, or whatever. Um, we were calling the warehouse the house for many years before 
they came on the scene, first off. So mm. when that term, and I didn't call on and on a house record time because there was no house music really in it. Other than the fact that people say, oh, you know, that house, that music comes from the house or whatever. So for me, it was just kind of, we were doing a little something different. I was making tracks that I could actually mix in and out of. It wasn't like I was trying to make yes. the song. I was actually, I did an earlier interview today and it was the same similar type of question that they asked me about it. And I was like, well, I, I wasn't trying to originate a genre. I wasn't trying to make a new style of music. I was just doing something that I felt needed to be done for me as a DJ to be able to play music in a more progressive fashion mm -hmm. and to get to other, other styles. And it just so happened that that particular thing became something that other people we're going around looking for, and Frank Sells over at Imports, et cetera, who was, you know, the guy who sold you all <laughs> yes. the records. Yes. Frank Sells, right? He told me that there was something that I was playing that people were coming in there asking for, and I had no idea what it was, and made a tape. Somebody identified, he asked me, and he tells me, well, we could probably sell about three or 400 of these if you could get your hands on some. So that's when I went to Vince and said, how do we make a record? So that whole terminology for me came about after the fact. Oh, of course, Wayne is chomping at the know, bit here. Uh, jump right in there, cowboy. <laughs> well, well, a few things, right? The, the 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 first thing is that the warehouse, you know, Frankie never played house music per se. He played disco. Yes. Because the house, the uh, warehouse was from '77 to about '81, sure. '82. So and there, so the the term, the term, now the terminology for me for genre house music is. Because of the drum machine created a, a whole different sound than disco did, because disco is made with live right, instrumentation, instruments. live drummers, and a drum machine is electronic electronic uh, instrument that that has a completely different sound, and yeah. so so it's a whole different. It's starting a genre, just like you start jazz, just like you start uh, a country or a classical or any other genre. It's a it's based on 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 an instrument or or a technology that creates a different sound than that than, than that's currently out. So, and and not only that, it takes a life of its own. It takes you know, and then other people start to do the same and make the same sort of sound. So to me, that's the distinction musically. But as far as the term house is concerned, you know, um, way before Frankie even came to Chicago. People heard disco in basement parties on the South Side. It oh, could absolutely! Be Peel Hill. It could be South Commons. It could be Jackson Highlands, where Day we all one, used to do. The, mean, used to do the parties, you absolutely. know, all over. So, and they would say, "Hey, they play that house music there," because disco being heard in, on, on the South Side was a different thing. Because you have to understand, back in the in the, in the mid '70s, you you didn't hear it that often, so you would hear. You know the the music of the at the of the time was funk well, and and, then, and soul and R and B. So when you, the, the, it was a natural distinction for people on the South Side when they heard disco coming out of these houses yeah. to say, oh, that's they, that's what they playing those 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 basement parties. Those new teenagers are playing in those in their houses. They they would give their parties. And so to me, that's the first term, time I heard it being called house music. And quite honestly, it was a derogatory term. You know. Well, and when you go back to the mid late to mid uh, 70s, early to mid 70s, rather. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a lot of disco around, you know, until it exploded. I mean, you had some Salsa stuff. That. You had the early Philadelphia International stuff. Mm -hmm. You had uh, Hamilton Bohannon, like Let's Start to Dance. 
Van McCoy's Hustle, you know, different things like that. And a lot of that came out of, absolutely, it came out of New York Swing, you know. That's what they called it in New York, New York Swing, where, you know, they hustled and they, you know, and how all the different things they did uh, there. And uh, I remember going to New York early and hearing Shep Pettibone do a mix on WBLS and had never, you know, heard that in Chicago before. And by the time I get back, Disco DAI kicked in, and now you got Peter Lewicki and all. What year did Blue DAI Devito. start? I'm sorry? What year? 76, maybe? 76. Yeah, right at the advent of the disco era, you know, and uh, before, and then like 70, by the 79 came around, they were blowing up disco records. So, mm-hmm. you know, with disco demolition. Yeah, it yeah. may have been a little earlier, maybe 75. Uh, late 75, early. Yeah. I know, like, hit and run. You know, uh, mm. one of the first 12 inches I remember seeing mm. uh, came out like late 75, early 76. So, right. Uh, but anyway, the yeah. um, let's move along because, you know, we're running short on time. Mm. And uh, I, I want to get you guys up to where you guys are now. Uh, mm-hmm. Some got 30, almost 40 years later. And, um, you know, still loving and, and doing your thing in this business, you know, God bless you both, you know, because uh, I, you know, I, I just couldn't stick around that long, you know. But um, now with the Chosen Few picnic that uh, uh, is a huge house music phenom within itself uh, or dance music phenom within itself because you have so many different DJs, so many different performers that bring a lot of different arrays to the table at the picnic, which I think is just a, a fabulous feat within itself. And um, uh, with it coming up this Saturday, uh, the 25th anniversary, uh, just give us a quick little history of where and how that started. The picnic? Yes, with the picnic. You wanna, you wanna go there? <laughs> well, well let, me, let me start with this. It's funny because the picnic itself started out of kind of the, the Hatchets family reunion 4th yes. of July thing. But even prior to that, I think it was what, maybe the year before, that winter before, mm-hmm. we decided that we wanted to kind of do a get together, you know, of everybody. Everybody had graduated, went yeah, off to college. Went off to college. We didn't have their own life. Anymore. Tony went to Houston. Yes. I was in LA. I think Wayne was, you were still here in Chicago okay. at that time. Yeah. But, um, and we hadn't played together in years at that point. Absolutely. It had been at least, what, maybe five, six years? Maybe longer than maybe that. Longer than that. Yeah. yeah, at least maybe six or seven. And so anyway, we were like, okay, well, let's throw a party and see if we can get everyone together. And we wanted to do it like, you know, we used to do back then, like a loft style type of thing and, and whatnot. But it was about 10 degrees below zero. This loft we picked had no heat. Right. <laughs> they had one space heater. <laughs> Wow. You two decided that you were going to gangster the bar. <laughs> well, I, I don't know about that. All I know is it, it was beginning to look a lot like Christmas. But, <laughs> but the, wait a minute. Go ahead. We want wait a minute. to share in the festivities. <laughs> Yeah, okay. So anyway, th- this is typical of 
the previous 10 years of our life. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> kind of coming back full circle. Right, right. <laughs> and we're starting it over again. Right. What you think, boss man? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so I'm on the phone and, and I get a call and it's like, uh, yeah, so we're going to do the bar at your party. <laughs> Well, Jesse, it was nothing personal. You know my motto, cut me in or cut it out. <laughs> so anyway, we decided to do this. It was me, Alan, Tony, Kim. We decided to throw this party. Wayne decided he wanted to gangster the bar along with Kirk. So we were all involved once again <laughs> in a different way. Well, yeah, you were DJ, right. but I'm saying. So we, it was like a supposed to be a dollar party or a $2 party or something And I like think that. I swept and cleaned yeah. up afterwards. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, you know, so, hold, hold on, Jesse. So Jesse, Jesse was living in L.A., so he wanted to come to Chicago where we were living, right, and give a throw a party with really out including us without right including us in any he didn't of the even benefits. Us. Right. You know, so, even the mob, so, right? You know, takes <laughs> so up Kirk, a tribute to that. So Kirk has a. Was I supposed to come and kiss the ring? <laughs> Absolutely. <Right>. Kirk. Kirk <laughs> Kirk said, you know, you know, he came up with a great idea. He said, well, you, you know, you don't have any. They were going to give away beer. They were going to give away beer. He said, you don't have any alcohol at the, really, alcohol at the party. So, you know, maybe we could come together and, you know, you know, let's, uh, you know, bring some alcohol and sell alcohol. And we all and, make some money. And we all make some money. And, you know, Jesse being, you know, who Jesse is, you know, pretty, pretty, you know, selfish Jesse, you know, was like, okay, but, you know, I get all the money because it's my party. And we said, Kirk, and Kirk being the negotiator that he is, was like, um, well, no, not necessarily. This is how this is going to go down. You know, um, we're going to come in, sell the alcohol, and make the money, and who the blank is going to stop us? <laughs> <laughs> so, and so it was. <laughs> the night unfolds. There's nobody there for like the first two or three hours, and we're freezing to death. And next thing you know, we're going to do thinking we're out money. Exactly. You all lost it. I'm sitting there like, okay, you gangster. Now you lost money too. Exactly. But anyway, <laughs> so at about. 10 minutes to 12, all of a sudden, it's just like lying down the block, people coming in. I mean, this turned out to be one of the best parties, like, especially because of the time that we hadn't been together. But everybody has such a good time. And the first thing, you know, Tony and I living in warmer climates are like, okay, this was nice, but we're definitely not doing this in the winter again. <laughs> and, and you know what? We, we were very glad that you all decided not to come back and do it. I'd hate to have to put you in that kind of predicament <laughs> all over again. I can't have ruined you for life, son. But uh, listen, we're getting, man, we could go on and well, on. Wait a minute, let me get to okay, the, summer, ahead, the sorry, summer part of it. So after that, Wayne kind of took over <laughs> the whole thing and said, well, we should make it a chosen few event. And then we kind of gangstered the hatchet, you know, 4th of July <laughs> event. <laughs> and here we are today. And you know, it was nice because even though it was quaint, but we all got yeah. together, we go play football, yeah, we play softball. And, and yeah. you know, we'd have a ball. Everybody would get to meet each other's families. And by that point, we all were starting to have families and do things like that. Yeah. But well, the party kind of proved like they still like us. Still like us. <laughs> so we was like, hmm, okay. Exactly. You know, but I think that back to your original statement, Kirk, when you started this, this show tonight, we all have a genuine love for each other. Right? Oh, absolutely. And we all have, uh, and, and, and because of the spirit of love that is in us, you know, um, that's why, you know, I feel we've always, you know, um, 
one out, you know, you know, because, you know, we're, we're humble and we, and, and, and we like to have fun and we want other people to have fun and a good time too. And as long as you put, put other people first and, and, and they enjoy what you do and, 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 and you do, you know, you do great things, you know, to, to, to make people happy and have fun. I think things turn out right. Oh, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Listen, guys, we've run out of time. Wayne actually was going to uh, spin live in here, but uh, we got into talking about it. On, you but only gave us an hour. You can, uh, <laughs> I tell you what, you can wait till Saturday and come see them spin live at the Chosen Few Picnic there you at go. Jackson Park. It'll be out there all day long. You can come help yourself. Uh, this has been a true pleasure for me to put me back in the saddle again. This is, uh, this is the reason I left DJing. I got into radio, and uh, I didn't love DJing no more. I loved radio. We are so happy. Absolutely. At the Music and I want to thank you, Lauren and Charles and everybody else and uh, Cameron, our uh, our. Uh, producer extraordinaire for having us on board. Uh, I know you're going to tell them about the people that are going to come up because you'll be doing this every Monday throughout the rest of the month. And uh, uh, gentlemen, I just want to thank you both for coming out. And uh, I just want to say you can still buy tickets online. Cha-ching, a shameless plug. A shameless plug. Thank you guys for inviting us. You know, we don't get up north too often, you know, and uh, we always... Um, you know, it's a citywide event. You know, we love everybody. So we appreciate the invitation and we hope to see you all there on July 4th, Saturday, starting at 6 a.m. till 9 p.m. And, and by the way, I do love both of you guys uh, always. Lauren, uh, thank you. And uh, to those listening, I hope you had a ball. I've enjoyed doing this for tonight and last Monday. And, um, you know, uh, I truly appreciate it, and thank you, and God bless you all. Kirk, we cannot thank you enough. We, we have to give it up for Kirk Townsend. Kirk Townsend! Bring in the history go. of house music. That's what the Dance Music Foundation is all about. And again, thanks to Jesse and Wayne. We really look forward to seeing them on Saturday. What time are you all spinning? Gates open at 6 a.m. We start the music at 8. What time do you spin? Jesse, what time is Jesse? That's spent? a surprise. Yeah. That's a surprise. <laughs> you just got to come out here. Hey, in the let me tell you, Lauren, Jesse does the lineup, so uh, you know, this is what's going on, just so you know. Okay. Come on now. So Jesse's the headliner, in other words. No, no. <laughs> all right, well, guys. Wayne do <laughs> Thank you all so much again. Check out the Dance Music Foundation at Twitter at Dance Music Found. Figure out what we're about. We're a, a collecting archive dedicated to the preservation and the history of house music. We are looking forward to Mike Serafini coming on the mic next next week. Lori Branch, come on through. She'll be live mixing, bringing in some other phenomenal pioneers. Have a great night. Okay, Michael Serafini, he's in next with oh, his regular right. show. It's a minute before 11 o'clock, WNUR-FM, Evanston, Chicago.
Thanks for listening to the Vintage House Show podcast. Please subscribe and share and check us out live WNUR 89.3 FM Wednesdays at 10 o'clock.